0: This is the Business
1: Storytelling Podcast with Christoph Trapp. Available on Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, and other podcast channels. Want to play it on your iPhone? Just ask Siri to play the Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast. Also available on Alexa. Here's Christoph with today's episode.
0: Hey, Business Storytellers, this is Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Today, we're going to try something different. We're going to do audio only on a video podcast. Why not? We're not the first ones to do that. Uh, But in all honesty, some technological issues today. And as my friend Jason Falls reminds us, there are 49 dominoes that have to fall to go live. So we're going to go live with audio only. Um, Hopefully, you enjoy as well. I see people are starting to show up here. If you're listening on the podcast channels, we do live stream these. Um, shows and we are live today on periscope twitter youtube facebook Um, twitch is still working on it amazon live so make sure you connect with us uh, with me on all those different channels on amazon live um, it is my pleasure to let you know amazon just approved me to become that next level uh, live streamer on amazon and what that means is that the first 10 products that we are showing on the screen we're now also live streaming to those um, to those pages. So as you know, as long as we're talking, our video is live on those pages, and of course, those books today. Um, Rehumanizing the workplace. We'll talk about that with Chuck um, in a second here, um, Chuck Blakeman. Um, and I've known Chuck I don't know a number of years. Met him actually in Iowa City at a conference that we were both speaking at. I think that was probably 2014, 2015, something like that. He wrote one book that's also on here. Um, why having employees is always a bad idea Um, so check that out but anyway those first 10 products uh, we're also live streaming to those pages Uh, chuck's three books my book um, my chair which you can't see today because we're just doing audio only but a big big fan of that and then the audio mic uh, the the podcast mic which of course today it's not working because we're using the airpods Um, so anyway let's get chuck out of the green room here much easier production today since you know i don't have to flip people around on the screen and everything, uh, but let's see how Chuck is doing, how his year is kicking off, and, and we'll talk about rehumanizing the workplace and what does that mean, and uh, we'll go from there. Chuck, welcome to the Business Storytelling Podcast. Thanks, Christoph.
1: It's great to be with you.
0: Great to reconnect. Uh, Happy New Year to you and everyone else. Hopefully, people are uh, kicking it off uh, with a bang, I guess. Um, re-humanizing the workplace. Tell me about why did you write it? What is it about, why should people care?
1: Yeah, great question. Well, I think the biggest problem, Christoph, is that uh, over two centuries from the development of factories, people still feel dehumanized and disengaged at work uh, because we haven't really dealt with the root cause of why work doesn't work. And it's it's decisions made by the few for everybody else. It's the top-down hierarchy, the bureaucracy, and the idea that people uh, actually think other people need to be managed. So these are broken concepts that, that, they didn't start in the factories. Actually, first man, first uh, mention of, of management is in Habarabi's code 5,000 years ago, and it's related to slavery. So that should give you some clue as to what's broken here. <laughs> but uh, it, it followed from slavery through serfdom into the military, into industrialism, and it was solidified in the factories. And we just think management is normal. It's something people ought to have happen. And I'm here to say that nobody, should be managed. So we gotta fix this. We gotta fix this. Why is work so broken? Why is it that people are so disengaged? 30% of people at work are actually uh, there to work. The other 70% are phoning it in. Over 50% have their resumes out before COVID. And 84%, Christoph, 84% of people uh, respond to surveys saying, yeah, I really haven't found something I enjoy doing yet. That's fundamentally broken. If we had a machine, that worked at 30%, would we just say, well, you know, what are you gonna do? No, we'd we'd figure out how to fix it. So we gotta fix this.
0: Well, 30%, I I kick that machine to the curb and um, leave a one-star review on Amazon um, for, you know, for sure. Uh, But why, so why is that happening though? So here's kind of how I'm thinking about it too is, so I think you need leadership, right? And of course, I mean, a lot yes. of people can show different levels of leadership. But are we talking about management when, when everything has to get approved, when everything has to go through the bottleneck? Or, or what's the management that doesn't work today?
1: Yeah, both and see all of the above the management that that creates the bottleneck that that is that bureaucracy, and then specifically the management of people where there's one woman or one man, who is in the office, where the other people are out in the cubes, and the expectation and the the assumption, the really invalid assumption is that the presence of that one manager over those seven to 10 people actually makes them more productive. When in fact, all the research says just the opposite. Managers make people less productive. If If you have a manager in place, you think, well, they'll make those people enough more productive to pay for the manager and add some profit. Otherwise, why would you have a manager? the reality of it is you add a manager and those people are less productive and now you're paying for a manager and losing money. So it's just the opposite of what we think. And then the bureaucracy itself is is a is just a a nightmare. Uh, Elon Musk sent an email out a couple of years ago. He basically said if anybody here needs to talk to anybody else at uh, at my company, they just talk to the other person until something good happens. And they and then he said if you if I catch any manager requiring that someone uh, um, re- someone has to go through the manager in order to talk to someone else. They will find themselves working at another company. So we understand that this whole idea of, of working through other people and going through the supervisor to the manager to the director back down to this, you know, before you can talk to Bob is just nuts. Uh, and it's not a new idea. I, I didn't I didn't make this stuff up. W. L. Gore, the the guy who invented Gore Tex, 1958 has a company now it's worth 10 uh, it's, it's 10,000 people 3 billion dollar company there's not a single manager in the whole place and he wrote a paper in 1972 i think called the lattice the lattice organization and he just simply uh, described what Elon Musk said hey if bob needs to talk to sally bob talks to sally until something good happens until they get it done so so yeah it's both and it's both the bureaucratic political up and down uh, bureaucracy of the pyramid and the individual management of people that wrecks the whole thing. Uh, we call it a pyramid scheme. We're not unabashed un, uh, about that. Or well, I guess we are unabashed about that. What is a pyramid scheme, Christoph? It's, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's basically using people at the bottom for the benefit of the people at the top. Welcome to, to American business. It doesn't have to be that way. And there are many companies who for up to 65 years have done it differently.
0: But, you know, it's easier said than done, of course, and a big shout out to Peter Stamates, uh, CEO of the Stamates uh, company here in Cedar Rapids. Um, When I was the chief content officer there, he he, uh, frequently told people, he said, our org chart is not a communications plan. So if you report to Christoph or you report to (laughs) some other VP, you can still come and talk to other people, even if they're not in your group, you know, and we want you to. We want you you to collaborate, but... It is easier said than done because just because you say it, it's so ingrained, right? Hey, um, just a heads up, I would like to talk to that person. People still do it. People did it even in that scenario, um, especially when you, when you kind of get used to it. So it does take some getting used to from all sides involved.
1: Well, and I, and I would, yeah, absolutely. And I would say that it actually will not work as long as you leave the hierarchy, the, the, what I would call the imposed hierarchy in place. There's going to be hierarchy, but it should be organic. But if you have an imposed, imposed hierarchy where someone, some director came uh, with a new person and pointed at that person and said, this is your new manager. Have a nice day. And then they walk away. You are now reporting to that person. That person isn't your leader. Leaders have followers and I didn't, I didn't choose to follow managers have reports. I'm reporting to that person. And as long as that person is in place, I'm, I'm crazy to do what Elon Musk said. And I put that in my last book. Here's this great uh, thing from Elon. Elon even said, if I find anybody and find themselves working at another company, like I said. But the reality of it is, if I worked at, uh, at uh, his company, I would say, well, that's a nice note. But I know where my bread is buttered and I know who has my destiny in their lap. There's no way in heck that I'm going to go around my manager to talk to somebody else. I'm going through them. So as long as that imposed hierarchy is in place, this stuff does not work.
0: So let's talk about that. I mean, realistically, uh, companies are not gonna get rid of managers, right? I mean, there is uh, different levels and, and you know that's of course debatable too. What, what, who do we need? What do we need? What do they have to do? But it, that's not gonna, I'm not, I don't think that's gonna go away anytime soon uh, for a lot of companies. So when when you build, and I don't know who I said this. I said it earlier on a show, uh, earlier this week, maybe. I don't even know what day it is today, Tuesday? Um, So I guess it was yesterday with Garrett um, Sussman. And um, basically, you know, we talked about buy-in. So when a new leader comes into a company or a new manager, whatever you want to call them, and they set the strategy and they, they collaborate with people, you know, people talk about they need to get buy-in and they need to get all these different things. But where's that line? So, for example, when I hire people, and you know, it's it's a two-way street. You know, I say, this is kind of what we're trying to do. Here's what I think you, how you could fit in. Tell me about this and blah, blah, blah. And then I also ask them, you know, I'm interested in moving forward. And what are your thoughts? Like, are you still interested based on what you just heard? You know what I mean? Like, it's a two-way street. So it's I think it's it's one scenario when you have you build a new team and then it's one scenario when you're trying to work with a team that already exists, I guess, that may or may not have the right uh, skills of what you're trying to do. How how do you get around those situations or how do you what's your so advice?
1: One at a time, uh, I think there's an assumption that may, that companies won't get rid of managers. And the reason they won't get rid of managers is they believe managers make people more productive just research that on the internet answer the ask the question do managers make people more productive you'll get 2.8 or 2 point some million responses and all 2 point whatever they are million of them will say managers suck and here's how to make them better nobody asks the question or even tries to answer the question do managers make people more productive what if a company was convinced <coughs> excuse me that the that, that managers actually made people less productive there's plenty of research on that. That's easy to find. Uh, In fact, all of those articles say the very same thing. Managers are in our way. Here's one little bit. Uh, I think it's survey.com did a a survey eight or 10 years ago, and they found that there are 20 major reasons people will leave a company. 15 of them are directly related to their manager. Get rid of managers and you relieve 75% of the reasons people will leave you. And I can just go from there. The, uh, the productivity stats, the, the growth stats, the retention stats, people stay at companies longer. Wegmans Grocery, Wegmans on the East Coast, they don't have managers. They've got leaders, but they don't have managers. People don't manage people. The average turnover in the, in the grocery uh, industry is 35 to 36% a year, 3% a year for decades at Wegmans. Why? Because everybody works together. Everybody makes decisions. And there's, there's an organic hierarchy that forms because people say, hey, you, you sound like you know what you're doing, I'll follow you. And then that gets canonized and okay, now that person's a leader. So leadership comes from the bottom up. <coughs> uh, the other piece of this is we make the assumption that that organizations are built around individual, one individual having uh, purview or authority over eight or 10 other individuals. And then those eight or 10 other individuals have authority over each eight to 10 more. And so the pyramid scheme. Who said that's the only way to do business? Why? why would we? What if we found out that was actually not helpful? Well, it's not. We can, we can look at it another way. So here's a principle, very simple principle. When you're trying to solve a problem or you're trying to take advantage of an opportunity, think people, not person. We think leadership is a singular singular thing. When we say who can solve this, we're always thinking of trying to find Bob or Sally or General Patton, some hero. That's just the way we think because it came out of the military that way. What if the question who could solve this was plural? You would find that you'd have a much better answer all the time. So to your hiring uh, example, uh, I never hire anybody. Uh, we we hire people. The team hires people. We, we have three or four different people hire. We have an 11-step hiring process. And uh, we work together and we actually vote together and our, our votes are equal. And so we have a team of people because who can solve this when it comes to hiring? The answer is a team can solve this better than one individual and faster.
0: And I I do think that the hiring process uh, like that, it's actually a great idea. I've done that before where you had a three person hiring committee and they all had equal votes. Right. So um, so so they could split or they could be anonymous, uh, um, unanimous. And uh, then you had other people who gave input, but they didn't have an official vote right. in the process. So it's interesting, though. Is so no argument from me, Chuck, at all about the whole motivation thing. In fact, drives me crazy when people say, "Oh, how do you how do you motivate people?" And I'm like, "Why? Why do I have unmotivated people? What? Why are they unmotivated? Why is that? A, why is that about me? <laughs> Let's talk about why. How do we get motivated? And I, but people certainly are motivated by different things, right? For example, I'm not motivated by fear. At all, right? I'm motivated by uh, by the journey, by reward. Like, for example, uh, you know, this is another great example talking about podcasting and live streaming. We didn't get the video to work. I don't know why. I'm sure you don't know why, right? I mean, we don't know what happened. Why it didn't work? And I don't, I don't really care. We found a way to get it to work, and I actually, I get motivated by finding a way to make it work. And just a quick shout-out to uh, the audience over on Amazon. Really appreciate you guys. Uh, biggest audience to date. And I know people are jumping in and in and out, but uh, biggest audience to date. So I don't know if that's because Amazon pushed us up a level and now they're highlighting us on more pages or not, but uh, really, really appreciate that. Um, everybody tuning in and the other networks are moving along as well. But give us some tips. Not a but. And. I've I'm, been I'm told. Don't use but. Use And. And give us some tips when you talk about organic. So, here's like a model I've done many, many times. So, so, I say, here's the strategy. Hey, I need some ideas here. I need some collaboration here. What do we do? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, what are we, who are we trying to reach? Why are we trying to reach them? And I collaborate. It's not just me throwing out a strategy and, and, every, and, and hope everybody, uh, you know, bends backwards and, and just jumps in. But if, if that's not the role, if it's organic, how, how do you get started? How do you actually yeah. get it to work?
1: It all sounds like chaos and anarchy when I first start talking about this. People, people's heads roll back in their eyes and say, "Man, you're you're some kind of woo-woo crap guy." No, I'm I'm a recovering John Wayne rugged individualist. I'll admit that, but uh, this is not woo-woo crap. This is hardcore success strategy, and it starts with asking questions, uh, and and an understanding of what management is versus leadership. There's the uh, classic definitions of the two. And I would state, I would say, along with John Cotter, who is a Harvard professor and a lot of other people, that management and leadership have nothing in common. We have conflated and we, meaning uh, mostly leadership and management consulting companies over the last hundred years have conflated those two terms to the point where we don't understand the difference. Well, if there was no difference, we wouldn't have two different terms for them. The reality of it is management and leadership have nothing. Zero, duck's egg, nada in common. Nothing. Here's the difference. Look at the, the definitions. My definition of leadership, any act that improves the life, situation, or performance of another individual. Any act that improves the life, situation, or performance of another individual. With that definition, anybody can lead. And that's the first premise of this, uh, this uh, approach to business is everyone is a leader and everyone is a follower. I have something to lead you in. I can lead you in my area of expertise, my character, uh, lots of different ways, and you can lead me. And because you have something to offer me, I submit to your leadership and we've got hierarchy. It's organic. And it's actually real, true, honest to goodness following of people who actually have something to contribute rather than the Dilbert Society. Why did Scott Adams make millions of dollars on Dilbert? because of this stupid hierarchy thing that, that we all know that the, the guy that we're supposed to be following, nobody's following that guy. They're all laughing at him behind their backs. Um, so, so we've got to fix that. I think that's a, an imperative for us is to figure out how to get that thing uh, fixed. So, uh, so how do we do that? It, it goes back to a fundamental question that is the, is the root of why we need to do this, this rehumanizing of the workplace. What makes people adult? There's one thing that makes them adult versus child. And it's a fancy term, is agency of, agency of responsibility. The reality of it is it's the ability to make decisions. That's the one thing that separates us from children more than anything else is the ability to make decisions. Great. What's the one thing 90 plus percent of people who go to work are not allowed to do? Make decisions. I can make decisions about who, uh, what career path to take, car to buy, house to buy, who to marry, all kinds of incredibly complicated and, and life-changing decisions. But as, as I walk across the threshold of my of somebody's business, I know that if I, I have to turn my brain off and become a child again, because if I don't, I'm going to get fired for actually trying to make decisions. So we've got to figure out how to do what we call distributed decision-making. And you don't do that with the pyramid. And Elon Musk knew that. You can't do it with a pyramid. You've got to do it a different way where you find people who are experts at things and you talk to them and you get things done. And, and uh, W.L. Gore, again, has done it that way for uh, 60 plus years, 10,000 people, not a single manager in the whole place. And it's a lattice organization. And a lattice basically means if Team A wants to talk to Team L, they get together. Or if Albert wants to talk to Laura, they get together and they get stuff done and they don't go through managers to get it done. So there's some constraints to that that make it really simple and easy. We we talk about this concept of two-step decision making. You don't even have to take anything else on that I'm talking about. You can stick with your with your top-down hierarchy and the whole deal. It will dismantle itself if you take care of these two two questions. Question this is this is how you make a decision. This is how you should make a decision in any organization. There's two simple steps. Step 1 is predicated on the idea that the decisions should be made where they're carried out. We talk about why people are disengaged, 30% are engaged. It's real simple. Input equals ownership. Or another way to say it, people commit to what they create. If the, if the manager creates the process, comes out of his ivory-covered office and foists foist it on the people and say, here's your new process, they don't own it. And if it's broken, it's his problem. Input equals ownership. So the first question is based on the idea that decisions should be made by people who have to carry them out. The people who make copies should buy their copier. If that's all we did, that would be chaos and anarchy. Step number two solves everything. Step number two is predicated on the principle that there are other people that are going to be uh, influenced and affected by your decision. You need to get them involved in the entire process. So question number one is who will have to make this, who will have to carry out this decision? They should make it. Question number two is, well, who else will be affected by this decision? We need to get them involved. If we simply followed that two-step process, uh, business would work great. Most managers don't even follow step two. They don't. They just make decisions on their own. So it, it, this is a very practical way to go about this. I had one company that got this, and uh, we were consulting with one company that, that got it in about two weeks, and it changed everything. Another company took about three months for them to figure out this two-step process process because they were so bewildered by the fact that uh, managers no longer made decisions that people in groups made decisions. So nobody ever makes a decision on their own. That's chaos and anarchy. We look around and say, who else is going to be affected by this? Let's get them involved.
0: Well, but when you look at the the current, I mean, really, the, I don't know the, the current world situation. I mean, uh, you know, all kinds of people get input on things, right, and there's different ways to 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 change things and and whatnot
1: well but you can see i i I would say that the entire response to covid has been fundamentally broken from the the outset because we violated Mm. this this principle we let a bunch of bug doctors um who are incredible people who have one myopic uh mission in life and that is to to squash the bug and we let them all by themselves in isolation determine our future that's nuts I wrote a, a blog in March that said, we have got to use the wisdom of crowds. Who are the others who are affected by this? Sociologists, economists, psychiatrists, death of, death of despair people, economic deaths people. There's so many, so many disciplines that we should be relying on to get our answers about how to respond to this thing. And to this day, we are ignoring everybody but one, uh, one expert. So it's it, this is a classic violation of the whole thing.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, so, but let's talk about a, a company. So you have a company. I, I love the distri- distributed model of making decisions, and I think of it a lot of time as really collaborating. You know, even if yeah. I'm the leader of a team. Let's say you know I got there's a, a four groups and 20 people total or whatever it might be. And at the end of the day, I don't have all the answers, right? But what I do have is I have some idea over what we're trying to accomplish. I do have a few years under my belt as well, right? I, we're, nobody's getting any younger. So I've done it a few times. But I don't have all the answers, especially today in content marketing uh, in digital marketing. Stuff changes all the time, guys. I mean, if if, if you're not um, collaborating and you think you got all the answers, forget about it. And and Chuck, this is one of my favorite things when it comes to this podcast you know, catching up with experts like you, inviting other people on the show. And, and I always learned something as well. So if nobody was listening, no doubt people are listening. But if nobody was listening, I always learned something new myself. But how do you, um, how do you know, and, and maybe this is an HR issue as opposed to a team issue, I guess, or, or, or management issue, but, but how do you know everybody is working towards the same thing?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. First thing you have to do is deal with your belief system. And you have to be what we call a mission-centered organization. Most companies are boss or department-centered organizations. And that's fundamentally flawed, goes back to the pyramid scheme. Great organizations are mission-centered. And their mission has to do with delivering something to their client uh, in, in, in the best possible way. The mission statement should be a, a statement of, the, the result, the, the best result we could get our client. That's our mission statement. And if we are mission-centered, that changes everything because now no longer is there a technology department that is bent on serving the technology department and building its own fiefdom and its own moat and its own, you know, we need the biggest budget. We're always fighting over resources to bring them into my castle from your castle because I'm department centered or I'm boss centered. If we are mission centered, we no longer can defend our moat and our castle because we don't have one. It's not the technology department anymore. It's the technology function. And it only exists to serve the mission. And it is rabid about figuring out how it best does that. And if getting smaller, getting leaner is the best way to serve the mission, it immediately goes in that direction. And everyone else in the company has the same view. So we've got to have leadership, a uh, uh, a leader or leaders at the uh, the helm of this thing, in the center of this thing, who are willing to say, we are now a mission-centered organization. I serve. You no longer serve me. I'm no longer your boss. We all have one boss. The mission. And I serve at the pleasure of the mission. If you ever see me doing anything that does not uh, f- uh, push the mission forward, <clears throat> you have the right and the responsibility to call me on it and I want the same privilege with you. So we're, it, it flattens, just that one thing flattens the hierarchy all by itself. Would you dare to be a mission-centered organization where your only, uh, your only responsibility is to your customer?
0: yeah i always find it crazy anyways i mean i i like to ask this question chuck but i always find it crazy when there's a companies that have competing goals or competing things that teams are working on right that's kind of why i ask that and then sometimes of course you do i I mean maybe it is your belief system but i like to give people the benefit of the doubt when i start and then they can prove me wrong and at some point we'll figure it out if, if if they're not on the on the same uh on the same bus uh, but I like to believe they're trying to do what's best for their customer and what's best for uh, for the company. Now, when everybody is a leader, though, I mean, that is uh, that can be a challenge for everybody. I know we've been talking about the managers. When, when Michael Brenner was on here and he talked about the era of the smart jerk needs to be over, uh, you know, he wrote, mean people suck. And I, I told him, I said, nobody, I don't think anybody ever disagrees with that statement, I'm sure. And um, but it's also going to be a challenge for the people that don't see themselves as leaders, right? That rather just go to the boss and say, hey, Chuck, should I should I do this? And then you say yes. And if I do it and I screw it up, it's on you because you told me to do it.
1: That's right. Yeah, we become codependent, we actually like it. We didn't like it, the first person who stepped across the threshold who had to check their brain at the door because they weren't allowed to make decisions, they didn't like that. But then they realized, hey, this is actually kind of nice. I have enough adulting to do at home. I kind of like coming here for eight hours and checking out and being disengaged because I have no responsibility. If Something goes wrong. It's somebody else. It's the, it's the head honchos issue. And I just, I'm a human doing, I'm no longer a human being. So it's a codependent situation. Codependence, the classic definition of codependence is the same as for management. Here it is doing for others, what they could or should do for themselves. Welcome to management. Management is nothing more, nothing less than pure, unadulterated codependence where I need uh, my psyche and my my very, uh, my very best interest needs to tell people what to do. And that's convenient because on the other side of the coin, you've got somebody who wants to be told what to do and you've just created codependence. Every time you tell someone what to do instead of ask them to figure it out, you create uh, more codependence. And then we got managers whining because nobody's engaged. Input equals ownership. So manage, management is very different than leadership. Leaders will, will do it differently. Both of them will start out with the same thing you talked about, Christoph. You've got experience, you've got all these things that you know you can do, and we look at those things and say, okay, what, here's a problem, here's an opportunity, apply all of your smarts to that, think it through, get the whole thing figured out. Both a manager and a leader should do that before they go in front of the people. And then the difference starts. When a, lead, when a manager goes in front of the people, he tells them everything he's figured out. Here's what the problem was. Here's the solution. Here's the process. Now go do it. A leader comes in front of the people with the very same set of knowledge and says, what do you guys think we should do? And he leads them through the very same process that he or she just went through to come to that conclusion. Not to try and get them to come to his conclusion or her conclusion, but to come to a better one. So he's not, get, he's not trying to lead them by the nose through, uh, through a, a, uh, you know, a poisoned well experience. He, he wants them to, to actually come up with this. But he's do, he or she has done the preparatory work so they can ask better questions. The bottom line is this. Managers tell. Leaders ask. And you can, be, you can have a title of manager, but you can become a great leader by, if you just stop telling people what to do. Input equals ownership. And if you simply ask them, what do you think we should do? And they say, I don't know. Well, here's three questions you could ask. Here's a process. Here's some data. You can give them everything you did, everything you got in order to make that decision. And you can join them in the whole process. And they will learn how to make decisions. And you have broken the chain of codependence. And now you have leaders at every level learning how to do this. There's an incredible example of this with a submarine in the US Navy, David Marquet. He wrote a book called Turn the Ship Around. and. He he inherited the worst rated submarine in the entire U.S. Navy, had been the worst rated submarine for three years. And in one year, he made it into the best rated submarine in the entire U.S. Navy. And here's the kicker, Christoph. He did it without changing out any one of the 134 people who had made it the worst for three years. All he did was he got them together and said, I'm no longer going to tell you what to do. I know I'm I'm called the commander. I'm not going to command. Instead... You're gonna to go to each other and to me whenever it's appropriate, and you're gonna make this statement. I intend to do X. Now, ask me hard questions and see if, I, if I'm smart, if I got this figured out. And in that one thing, he called it intentional leadership. On that one thing, he distributed all of the decision-making, he distributed all of the leadership, and in one year, it became the best submarine in the Navy. And for eight or 10 years after he left that submarine, it produced more leaders in the Navy than any other boat in the Navy a dramatic example of the simplicity of distributed decision-making.
0: Very interesting. And you know, the one thing I always like when I talk with people, sometimes people want the the, the steps-by-step, right, of codependency, here's what you do, do this, do this, do this. But I like to give them guidance, you know, this is what we're trying to accomplish, how do we do it? Uh, we want to build a google data studio dashboard here's what i'm trying to see i don't know how to do it i don't know what needs to go where i don't even know if it's possible but that's what we're trying to accomplish so we as a team can see whether or not we're hitting the performance benchmarks We're, you know we set out to to reach Um, and then whoever actually knows how to do that they can they can kind of lead the way Uh, i think that's also new and different and of course it's interesting because you know it takes a while for people to wrap their head around how to be a good leader and how to, well, Christoph,
1: that goes that we call that uh, open space leadership, and that hmm. goes hand in hand with this whole idea. Open space leadership doesn't tell people what to do; it creates a thought bubble. It creates a, you know, a corral. Here's an idea. Hey, I had this idea. Who wants to join me in that? That's a very different way of going about, it. and that's that's a great leadership principle.
0: Fantastic. Uh, that is a great note to end on, Chuck. Really appreciate you to come back on the show share your insights um thank you for making the time really appreciate it
1: oh my joy have a great rest of your day keep going
0: and of course chuck was actually one of the first people i did a podcast with back in the day when we didn't even do live streams or anything we we recorded with google voice 2014 so just to to show you how long we go back thanks everyone for watching on the live stream looks like amazon is still going strong Thanks for everyone on the other channels. And of course, um, this is also being um, distributed to the 20 main podcast platforms as well. Thanks again, Chuck. Thanks everyone for listening and watching, Um, even though you couldn't see us today, radio on TV, so to speak. Until next time.